Good morning. Today we will be reading from James 1, 13 through 18. If you're using the Pew Bible, which is in the rack in front of you, you will be on page number 1011, page 1011. James 1, 13 through 18 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he bring us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. This is the word of God. Amen. Thank you, Hannah. We're in the book of James, obviously. Real wisdom, real faith. If you haven't found it yet, turn to, turn to the book of James. And so, so far in the book of James, uh, he's been talking a lot about trials, hasn't he? It, it kicked off right in the very beginning of the, of the book. Count it all joy, my brothers, my sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. James is a, James is a book about Christian living. How do we live out what Jesus taught us? How do we live out what Jesus showed us? James is the brother of Jesus, so he's thinking, okay, how do we live out what my big brother had to say? Uh, it's, a, it's a book of wisdom, a book of application. And so far, there's not a person in this room that can't relate to everything James has been saying, be, uh, unless you are the one person in here who's never had a trial, which I don't think there's anybody like that in this room. <laughs> we have all been through trials, haven't we? Today, James is going to introduce temptation, sin, and I'm pretty sure that I can look out at my audience today and say the same thing. Where's my sinners? Where are my sinners at? Yeah. <laughs> Who in here has been tempted? Yeah. Some of us. Some of us. Pastorally, you know, one of, my, one of my biggest concerns pastorally is that a lot of Christians don't know how to deal with sin. They don't, know what, they don't really know what sin is, they don't know where it comes from, and they don't know how to overcome it in their own lives. We actually just spend a lot of time replacing one sin with another sin, maybe a more socially acceptable sin. Why do we sin? How do we overcome sin? How do we disciple each other through not just trials, but temptations? That's what this section is going to be all about. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. And so our sermon title is Overcoming Temptation and Sin by Faith. Overcoming Temptation and Sin by Faith. We need wisdom for this. We need faith for this. 
And we're going we're gonna to walk through this together with James and see what we can learn from him this morning. So how does a Christian overcome temptation and sin? And I'm going to draw out, don't be scared, I'm going to draw out six concepts from this passage. Some of them will be quick, some of them will be a little bit longer. We'll try to get through all six of them, okay? So we're going to draw out six things that we need to understand if we're going to overcome temptation and sin as Christians. Number one, we need to expect temptation. Expect temptation. Notice verse 13. No, let no one say if he is tempted. Is that what it says? It says, let no one say when he is tempted. And we said the same thing back at the beginning because James used the same language about trials. He said, count it all joy when you fall into a trial. In other words, you're going to fall into a trial. Here he's doing the same thing. Let no one say when he is tempted. In other words, you are going to be tempted. The testing comes to us from the outside as external suffering. Yes, you will experience that. And guess what else? You will also experience the temptation, the internal response of your soul in the midst of that trial. You will experience the temptation. So let me ask you, are you aware of where you are tempted on a daily basis? Are you aware of what situations cause temptation in your life? Modern language, do you know your triggers? Do you know your triggers? Do you know what triggers you to be tempted? I hope you do. I hope you do. The truth is, you, you probably know some, because some sins are more obvious than others, aren't they? So you probably know some, but there's probably a lot you don't. There's probably, there's probably a lot that you're blind to, and that's when it's helpful to be in a group with other Christians who can, can help peel off those blinders and point out, like, oh, that you're being tempted. I can tell that you're not responding correctly. Why is that? Number two, in your trial, beware of self-deception. In your trial, beware of self-deception, because this is how the trial turns into temptation, when we are deceived, when we are deceived. Verse 16, do not be deceived, my beloved family. Do not be deceived, Grace Baptist Church. Do not be deceived, my small group. Do not be deceived, my children in my household. Do not be deceived, roommate. Do not be deceived, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife. Do not be deceived, Christian. I'm gonna, I want to point out three ways we can be deceived. Okay, three ways we can be deceived. Number one, so this is, these are sub-points. We, we can be deceived into blaming God. We can be deceived into blaming God. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. Verse 13, for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. This is where we have to understand 
Christian, you have to understand the difference between the test and the temptation. The test and the temptation. Does God test us? Yes. We have dozens of examples. We have dozens of scriptures. Does God tempt us to sin? No. Okay, and so because a lot of Christians don't understand that difference, and because the test leads to the temptation, we just start tracking it backwards logically, and we say, oh, if I'm being tempted to sin, it's because God put me in the situation. Therefore, it is God's fault. We see this right off the bat in Scripture, don't we? The very first temptation to sin, Adam and Eve in the garden. And they blow it, and they sin, and then God shows up, right? And, and God arrives, and Adam's first response is, God, the woman you gave me made me do it. Notice what he's saying. He's not just blaming Eve. Who's he blaming? God. God, you put me in this situation. You gave me this, this other person who messed it all up. It's all your fault, God. You didn't spare me from the circumstance. You didn't spare me from the test. And so now, over time, we begin to be deceived more and more. God is bad. God is against me. God is out to get me. God doesn't actually care about me. But what James is telling us is the opposite. God never tempts us. He cannot tempt because he cannot be tempted. In other words, God has no reason to tempt you. Why, why do people tempt each other? To get what we want, right? We tempt each other to get what we want or what we think we need. Does God have any need to tempt any of us to get something out of us? <laughs> He's God. He's perfectly satisfied within his own being. He doesn't need to trick you or manipulate you into doing something for him. Otherwise, he's going to be up there going, oh, I'm just having such a bad day. Why won't they love me? God doesn't say that. He doesn't need to tempt you. He is fully satisfied. He needs nothing. And so therefore, he doesn't have to manipulate anything out of you. The second way we are deceived is that we blame others. Sometimes we blame God. Sometimes we just blame others. James says, each person is tempted, verse 14, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Why do we sin? Well, if I, if I can't blame God, okay, I get it. I'm going to be pious. I'm going to be a good Christian. Clearly, I can't blame God. The devil, <laughs> the devil made me do it. Okay, yeah, I mean, sometimes the devil's involved, but does the devil make you do things? No. Can he tempt? Sure. Can he, can he get inside our heads? Sure. Does he accuse? Sure. And, and James will talk about the devil in chapter 4. We're not dismissing the devil. But 
Each one of us is tempted when we're lured and enticed by our own desires. Okay, then it's my parents. I didn't attach to my parents when I was a child, and so now I have all these problems. Okay, maybe that's true, and that can contribute to some of your problems. But each one is tempted when they are enticed by their own desires. Well, no, it's, it's society, Brady. It's society, right? Society is suppressing me from being my true self. And so that's why I'm, I'm a loose cannon. That's why I'm so frustrated. That's why I'm sinning. No, each person is tempted when they are enticed by their own desires. Well, I was a victim, Brady. I was a victim. I experienced trauma. So that's why I am the way I am. No, each is enticed by his own desires. It's the school's fault. It's the church's fault. It's my environment's fault. No, no, no. Each is tempted when they are lured and enticed by their own desires. I'm not dismissing all those things. All of those things are factors, right? They're, they are factors. They're important. They're important to understand. They're important to deal with. But at the end of the day, I sin because I want to sin. I sin and I blame other people. Years ago, I, I sinned. I, as a pastor of this church, I sinned. I, I was proud and I was divisive and I blamed another pastor for that. I have spent years of my marriage blaming my wife Joy for all of my unhappiness. I have spent decades of my life because I was introduced to sexual things as a young child by people in my family. When I struggle with sexual sin, I blame my family. And I've been doing that for decades. But you know what James would say to me? You know what Pastor James would say to me? He would say, Brady, you sin because you are lured and enticed by your own desires. I can't outrun me. Everywhere I go, I take me with me. Right? Deception number three. So deception number one, I'm going to blame God. Number two, I'm going to blame everybody else. Number three, okay, I'm done blaming. I'm done blaming. So now I will create my own good. That's deception number three. I will create my own good. I will be happy when blank happens. Have you ever thought that way? Come on now, let's be honest. We're all thinking that way all the time, right? As soon as this class is over, I'll, I'll finally be, right? As soon as I get to Friday, Saturday, I'll be happy when the weekend comes. I'll be happy when I'm married if you're single. I'll be happy when I'm single if you're married. <laughs> I'll be happy when my kids get out of diapers. I'll be happy when my adult kids come back to the Lord. 
I'll be happy when my church finally allows me to do what I want to do in ministry. I'll be happy if I can just get blank. If I can just get blank. If I can just solve this problem. If I can just break this bad habit. If I can just get this ministry to grow. If I can just get that better job. Then finally my life will be good. You're deceived. You're deceived because what's happening is everything that's in your blank, whatever you put in the blank, it becomes something you desire more than God. It becomes something that you desire more than God. And everything in that blank might be a good thing, right? They might be good things. But if they're what drive you and if they're the things that make you say, my life won't be good until this, And that's the warning of verse 15. Desire, when it's conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, after it grows up, it gives birth to death. Death? What's James talking about? Well, you know, spiritual death. Spiritual death. But for us as Christians, I think we need to heed the warning of, look, anything we put in that blank is killing our faith, isn't it? It's slowly poisoning our faith. That instead of trusting God, maybe we're blaming God. Instead of trusting God, maybe we're blaming everybody else. Or maybe instead of trusting God, we're just, we're just looking to solve all of our own problems. And your faith is wilting on the vine, right? Who needs God? You become a functional atheist at that point, a Christian atheist. Number three, understand why we sin. Understand why we sin. Sin, the word sin means to fall short. Why do we fall short? Verse 14, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, verse 15, gives birth to sin. Sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Here's how it works. James has already introduced the concept of trials. When the trial comes, we, we lose something that we desire, don't we? That's what suffering is. That's the definition of suffering. Something that I want, I don't have. I want my kids to be healthy. They're not healthy. They're going, they're going through something hard. I want to be married. I'm single. I want to be, I want to be free from this bad habit. I'm not yet. I want my ministry to grow. It isn't. I want my wife to not nag me so much. She's still nagging. All of these things. I want the job. I don't have it. I've applied for all these other jobs. I can't get the better job. All of these, big and small, big and small, all of these are trials or sufferings where something I desire, I don't have. And so what James is saying is, again, that thing is in your blank. When I have blank, I'll be happy. And so then that desire becomes the temptation. It becomes the, the hyper desire, if you will. That's actually the word he uses, hyper desire. It becomes the hyper desire. I have to have it. I have to have it. I can't let this go. I can't let this, I can't live without this thing. And so then these hyper desires as we just described a minute ago, they draw us away from God, don't they? They draw us into the self, deeper into the self. And again, these can be good things. They can be bad things for sure, but they can also be good things. 
If you have a desire for security, nothing wrong with that. God wants us to be secure. But then you're so obsessed with financial security that what do you start to do? You overwork. Got to make more money. Got to make more money. Got to make more money. You become greedy. Or maybe, or maybe on the job, you, you, um, you have to have job security so much that you start to manipulate in the workplace, right? You start thwarting other people so you look better, and you get the promotion instead of the other person. What's happening now? You're losing the very thing you wanted in the first place, aren't you? Because you're constantly on edge, constantly have to have it. I want to be loved. Of course you do. We all want to be loved. So then, I'm going to be loved. I'm going to make you love me. You will reciprocate my love. You will give back to me. You manipulate. You become codependent, even deceptive. Or you drift off into fantasy. You find love from somebody who's, who you have no business seeking that from, romantic love or erotic love from somebody that you have no business seeking that from. You want to be accepted. Of course you do. Who doesn't? God wants you to be accepted. That's a good desire. But then you fill in this blank. Until I'm accepted by this group of kids in my high school class, I won't be happy until they accept me. And so then what happens? What do you become? You start performing for this group of people, don't you? You start doing things that you never thought you would do just to fit in. What's happening? You're dying. You're dying inside. Do you see it? We sin when we let our desires lead us away from God because that's what sin is. Sin is when I say, I want the creation over the creator. I want the gift over the giver. I want to worship that group of students. I want to worship those friends. I want to worship sex. I want to worship money. I want to worship beauty. I want to worship fitness. I want to worship ice cream. I don't know. Pick something, whatever it is. I'm going to worship that. That will satisfy me. That in the moment, this is what's going to make me feel good. And that takes the place of God. Number four, let temptation and sin reveal your desires. Stay with me on this. Let temptation and sin reveal your desires. Okay, first of all, I, I admit it. This is really hard for me, too, to even just talk about desires. You know, you sit down with somebody, and they tell you something they did, and you look at them and say, well, why did you do that? I don't know. <laughs> what were you after? I have no idea, right? That's what most of us say to that question, that level of questioning. Because Why? Because we don't have good self-awareness. We're not, we're not attuned to our own hearts. And I confess, I'm not either half the time. You know, it really takes, this is where discipleship comes in. This is where somebody really has got to sit with you and keep asking the questions and start peeling away the layers of the onion of your heart. Why are you doing what you do? But listen, let me just, in general, let me, let me just show you, this is how a Christian deals with sin. 
You have to do the hard work of moving backwards from sin. Okay, so if, if we move from desire, here's James' logic. Desires become temptations. Temptations become sin. You with me? Okay, let's move backwards through that. Because usually, once you get to the sin part, you're kind of like, uh-oh, <laughs> right? Not always, but a lot of times you kind of know like, oops, <laughs> I really lost it with that person. That was a sin. Oops, I just spent four hours clicking on stuff I shouldn't be clicking on. That's a sin, right? Oops, I just cheated on that exam in eighth grade science. That's a sin. Okay. Where, what tempted you? What desire were you trying to satisfy? See what we're doing? We're moving backwards. We're moving backwards from sin to temptation to desire. And when we get back here to desire, now we're getting somewhere. Now we can start to make a difference in somebody's life. Now we can start to say, okay, here's why we do what we do. And yeah, that's, that's where some of those things I said earlier, environmental factors, family background, uh, you, you know, the classroom you're in, uh, the, the, the situations you're in, yeah, that's where those will have an impact. They will impact how we desire and what we desire. You see, mo most Christians just sit out here, they get caught in the sin, oops, and then what do we do? We, we, take, we take the, you know, the Jesus bar of soap, oh man, I spilled some sauce on my shirt, let me rub that out, right? Jesus, please forgive me for my cheating. Did you forgive me? Okay, good. And I go on with my life. Jesus, I had a bunch of wicked thoughts today. I'm so sorry. Okay, we're cool? Yeah, okay. And you go on with your life. That's not the Christian life, folks. That's not holiness. That's taking the cross and using the cross to be, you know, white out. How do we really deal with sin? How do we prevent it in our lives? How do we stop from sinning in the first place? That's what God cares about. And we got to do the hard work of moving backwards into desire. Into desire. Why do you do what you do? Number five. Okay, now that we've done that, now that we're starting to have conversations about desire, now that we're starting to see what's in the blank, well, I wasn't happy. In order, in order to make mom and dad happy, I had to pass that test. If I didn't pass that test, I don't pass the class. And if I don't pass the class, then mom and dad are going to mess with me and they're going to take away all my privileges. And so I had to cheat in order. And, and, and you don't, Brady, you don't even know, my big brother, he gets straight A's and I'm over here and I don't get straight A's. And so there's all this pressure. Okay. Okay. So what do we say to that person? We say, okay, now we're starting to see what you're after. What are they after? What's their heart after? Their heart's after acceptance from mom and dad. Their, their, their heart's after, um, I, I got to live up to my big brother, right? You see what we can do now? Instead of just using Jesus as a bar of soap, 
we can actually start to use Jesus as the lover of our soul. I can actually start to say to this person, Jesus loves you. The Father is good. He's the Father of light. He loves you. He accepts you. He, he, he longs for you. He's given you everything that is good. You don't need to cheat to be satisfied. You don't need to click on that to be satisfied. You don't need to argue and win arguments on Facebook to be satisfied and prove how smart you are. You don't have to do that because you have something better. And so we begin to overcome desire with a stronger desire. How does a Christian overcome sin? How does a Christian overcome sin? We take it back to desire, and then from there, we fight desire with desire. We fight desire with desire. How do you defeat a desire? You defeat it with a stronger desire, a desire for Christ, a desire for God, a desire for His love and His holiness being able to say, I am so satisfied with Jesus that everything else starts to just look like mud. You know, C.S. Lewis's illustration, you're playing, it's the child playing with mud when he could have a holiday at the beach. And he's, and he's over here going, no, mom and dad, I don't want to go to the beach. I really love my mud. No. The beach is way better. <laughs> go to the beach. We have to see God as better, Jesus as better. And that's what James does for us next. Verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. James is introducing us to the ultimate reality, the ultimate satisfaction, God himself, God and his character. Christian, listen to me. I'm going to keep this very simple. Here we go. First of all, God is good. If you don't walk out with anything else today, <laughs> God is good. Everything he does is good. Well, what about the trial, Brady? What about my sick kid, Brady? What about the cancer, Brady? What about the COVID, Brady? What about I lost my job, Brady? What about my wife passed away, Brady? Listen, we'll understand it better by and by. But here's what I know. I don't want that to be a cop-out. Here's what I have to do. And I ha listen, I have to talk myself through this all the time, too. I have to be able to say at the end of the day that everything that God has allowed and even caused, everything that God has done, He has done for my good. It, has, it, it is being done by God. That tragedy came into my life because God knew that that would somehow make me like Jesus. And if you can't trust that, you're, you're, you're going to be deceived. You're going you're gonna to blame. You're going to try to create your own good, all the things we already talked about. But if you can step back and say, okay, God, I don't get it. It doesn't make any human sense, but I trust that you are good. Everything you do is good. He, he is good. He, everything he does is good. He wants to do good 
Verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth. In other words, God's desire, James is using desire language here again. He talks about our desires going astray, and then he says, Here's, I'll tell you God's desire. He wants to save you. He brought you forth into life. He gave birth to you. God is always good. He's unchanging. He's the father of the lights. The light, probably what James means by the lights is the sun, moon, and stars. And, and back in those days, in the ancient times, they would say, they, they would talk about how the, they would change, right? You know, from our human perspective, when we look at the sun, it's constantly moving, isn't it? It's here and then it's gone. Or when we look at the moon, the moon is changing, right? It goes through its phases. God doesn't, God doesn't change. There is no shadow, there is no variation with God. In verse 12, in James 1, 12, he said this, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Here's the contrast. The test comes, and you have this one person who, when the test comes, they continue to trust God. And they stand, they hyperstand in that trust in God. Not a trust in themselves, not in a trust in their own ability to create their own good, but in a, in a, a trust in God's goodness. And they receive life. This person over here, when the test comes, they let it turn into a temptation on the inside. The internal desires kick into, oh, I can solve this. Oh, I can do better than God. Oh, God doesn't know what he's doing. Can't trust him. Can't trust these people. I can't trust you. I can't trust you. I know you're out to get me. Oh, man. Oh, the government. Oh, don't even get me started. Oh, my goodness. The Democrats, the Republicans, everybody, the world's in chaos. I have clearly got to dig a bunker, right? It's the only way out of this. So, what one is leading to life, the other is leading to death. What's the difference? Faith. Faith. That's the difference. At the end of the day, faith is the difference between those two people. Okay, faith in what, Brady? Who survives? The ones who love God. Well, how, does, how do I love God? How do I know that I can love God? Because you know He loves you, right? That's where you have to start. How do, well, how do I know that He loves me? Because of His good gifts, right? How do you show the people in your life that you love them? Good gifts. Joy just had a birthday a couple days ago. Her gift is still in my closet. I have not given it to her yet. You know why? Because we're all going out to eat this afternoon, all the kids, all the family, and we're going to go, and I'm going to hand her the gift. Surprise! <laughs> And you know what's going to happen? She's going to open that gift and she's going to say, they love me. They love me. They, they really, really love me. Now, come on now. How do we know someone loves us? Is it only because they go around saying they love you or do they have to actually do something once in a while? Right? I love you. Oh, can you help me with the dishes? Uh, no. Well, then you don't love me. <laughs> right? 
I love you, honey. Oh, can you change the diapers? Oh, I'm really busy. Is my phone ringing? <laughs> Good gifts. Good gifts. And that leads us to number six. Our final point. Trust your new life in Christ. Listen. How do, I, how do we know God loves us? Good gifts. But church, what's the greatest gift? God has given you lots of good gifts, hasn't He? I had a great cup of coffee this morning. That was good. It felt good, <laughs> right? Got up early, sat at the table by myself, a little quiet time, a little cup of coffee. That's a good gift, right? Medicine is a good gift. <laughs> Medicine gets me through this kind of thing. That's a good gift from God, isn't it? Friendships. Man, that's a, a good friendship is a good gift, isn't it? Support. Good church. That's a good gift. But there's one gift, isn't there? There's one gift that's the greatest of gifts. Jesus Christ, right? The Father of lights has given us the good gift. James knows his brother Jesus. Here's how Jesus said it. Jesus said, look, if you go to your dad and you ask him for bread, will he give you a rock? If you ask him for fish, will he give you a snake? If, you're, if your fathers, if you fathers who are evil, <laughs> that's what he says, if you fathers who are evil know how to give good gifts to your kids, won't, and here's, in, in Luke, in Luke, here's what it says, won't your father also give you the Holy Spirit? Of course, James knows that his brother talked that way all the time, and that's what he's talking about. God's greatest gift to us is God. Let me say it again. God's greatest gift to us is God. The presence of God, the Holy Spirit God inside of us, union with Christ Jesus, our life, Jesus' life, clicked together forever. Every spiritual blessing ours. Everything that Jesus gets as the son, you get as the son and daughter. You are co-heirs with Christ. Verse 18, of his own will, by his own desire, he brought us forth. That means he gave birth to us by the word of truth, the logos of truth. That's the gospel, the gospel of Jesus, that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. What a great thought. Here's what he's saying. He's saying one day God's going to fix everything. One day God's going to repair the universe. And guess what you are? You're the first fruit of that, Christian. You're the Do you know what the first fruits were in the Old Testament? In the Old Testament, you would plant your harvest, and the first plants that come up, it was a, those first plants showed you, oh, I'm going to get something this year, right? The wheat's coming. And so you'd, you'd cut off the first fruits, and what did, where did you take them? To the temple. You gave them to God. James is saying, look, Christian, you're a first fruit. You're the proof. Your life is the proof that everything's going to be okay. 
So you see, when a, when a Christian goes around, like he said earlier, when a Christian walks around their life doubting and tossed like the waves, when the Christian w- walks around with, with victim mentality, when the Christian walks around with, you know, I don't know if God is for me or against me, your life is not a f- looking like much of a first fruit, is it? You're looking like the, the tomatoes I grew in my backyard this year. They were all kind of mangled and cracked and gross. Those were my first fruits. They weren't pleasant. We are ripe, juicy tomatoes. (laughs) We are God's first fruits. What does this mean? We are the new creation. Listen, listen, Christian. Here's what James is saying. Remember what we said? How do you overcome sin? You move backwards to desire. You move backwards to desire. Here we go. Wake up. If you've been asleep, wake up because I'm about to tell you the best part. Here comes the best part. Because if you're sitting here thinking, oh, great, great, thanks, Brady. Now all I got to do is change all my desires. Thanks for that. Listen, if you are a Christian, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, guess what God has already done inside of you? He's given you a new heart. He's given you a new desire. God, in James, God is only asking for something that He's already done for you. He's asking you to display a desire for Himself, a desire for Jesus, that if you are a Christian, you already have. This is why I'm not afraid of desire. A lot of Christians are afraid of desire. You can't talk about desires. You've got to suppress desires. You've got to put desires aside. You've got to overcome desires. No, you don't. No, you don't. You let your desires draw you to a greater desire. Because here's what I know as your pastor. It's in there. It's in there. I know it's in there. Real quick. I know I'm almost out of time. Real quick. Turn to Ephesians. I'm going to just show you a parallel passage. Ephesians 4. Hang with me. You can do it. Ephesians 4, 17. James wrote first. James is one of the first books of the New Testament. Paul came later. Ephesians came quite a bit later. Here's Paul kind of expanding on the concepts that we've been talking about. Ephesians 4, 17, now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. He's describing what happens when our desires aren't for God, aren't satisfied. When a desire is never satisfied, it becomes this cycle. Do you see the words he's using? He uses these two opposite words to describe our hearts, callous and sensual. How can a human heart be both unfeeling and totally feeling? Always always looking. That's addiction, isn't it? Have you ever been addicted to something? (laughs) You want it, you want it, you want it, you got to have it, got to have it, got to have it. As soon as you get it, uh, uh, meh, it's like Christmas, Christmas afternoon. Christmas, 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 open all the presents, eh. <laughs> Only 364 more days. 
callous but sensual, callous but sensual. Verse, tw- verse 20, but that's not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught, past tense, were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Deceitful desires. That's James. That's James language. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. What is Paul saying? We have put off the old and we have put on the new. We no longer have to succumb to deceitful desires. We have put on the new, which has been created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Can anybody say amen to that? Amen. Let me ask you, if you're sitting here this morning, that's a before and an after, isn't it? Paul just gave us a big, huge before and after. Maybe you're sitting here this morning. Have you had this experience? Have you had an experience of putting off the old and putting on the new? Have you had that experience where you used to be caught in a cycle of, I want it, I want it, I want it, I want it. As soon as you get it, eh, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. There's got to be more. Give me more. You get it? Meh. You got it, right? That's, that's the life of somebody who's not a Christian. That's the life of an unbeliever who's constantly chasing, constantly chasing, chasing identity, chasing satisfaction, chasing performance, chasing meritocracy, chasing, chasing acceptance, chasing love. Or have you had this after experience where by faith you have submitted to God, submitted and said to, said to him, God, you alone can satisfy me. True repentance. Stop chasing the old. Settle into the new. And be satisfied by a loving dad who puts you on his lap, hugs you up, and says, everything's okay now. Have you had that experience? I pray that you have. If you haven't, we're going to sing. After we sing, come on up and talk to me. Talk to Pastor Mark, Pastor Andrew. We would love to talk to you about that. Let's pray. Jesus, you have changed our desires. I'm reminded where Paul said, Paul said, I long for you with all the affections of Christ. He he said that he literally had the same desires as Jesus. Jesus, give us a desire for you. Give us your desires. God, we know you've done this. You are the father of lights. You have given us not just every good gift, You have given us the best gift, Jesus. God, I lift up anybody who hasn't had that experience, anybody who's still chasing, still drowning in the addiction to self, still drowning in an addiction to to figuring all of life out on their own. God, may we turn to you, Jesus Christ, our hope in life and death. We pray this in your name, amen.